Grace and peace to you all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today's passage will be coming to us from Psalm 135. If you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 135. We'll turn to our our, uh, passage today in Psalm 135. And while you're turning there, I want to share just a brief uh, introduction to this psalm. Psalm 135, uh, one commentator notes, this psalm appears in the liturgy for the introductory morning service for Sabbath and festivals. Another commentary notes that many phrases in this psalm closely resemble phrases found elsewhere in the Old Testament. This could mean that the author of this psalm used other texts as his sources, or that the psalm and those other uh, texts used a common source. The psalm names no author, nor does it state whether the house of the Lord is the first or second temple. If we were to sort of use an outline to understand this psalm, we could break down this psalm into three categories. We could, category one or or the the first step would be a call to worship. And we'll see this in verses one through three a The second category would be a cause to praise. This would be found in Psalm 135.3b through verse 18. And then finally, we would use uh, step three as a conclusion. And those would be found in verses 19 through 21. And this is sort of the outline that I'll be using as we go through Psalm 135. John Calvin, in his commentary on this psalm, says that this is an exhortation to praise God, both for his goodness, specially shown to his chosen people, and for his power and glory apparent in the world at large. Would you follow along as I read Psalm 135? I'll be reading out of the ESV. Psalm 135, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth and in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. He it is who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people Israel. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion, who, he who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Oh Lord, we thank you for bringing us together as a corporate people united to one another under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We ask, O oh Lord, that through your Holy Spirit indwelling in our hearts, that we would hear your message for us today. 
and that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see and be invoked to praise the name of the Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 1 begins, praise the Lord. In the Hebrew, these two words open this song to us. These two words in the Hebrew are halal and yach. Halal, the word for praise, is used five times in this passage in Psalm 135. And three of those times, it is grouped with the word for Lord as yach. You'll note in your Bibles that the word Lord is going to be all capitalized. This is to indicate that we are talking about the old covenant name of Yahweh. And so Psalm 135 opens and closes with this. This phrase, praise the Lord, is used three times in this passage. In verse 1, and in verse 21, and in verse 3. Praise the Lord. Halal Yah. Yah is a shortened form of that covenant name. That covenant name that we know as Yahweh or Yehovah. And although it is a shortened form of this name, the meaning of is still the same. It does not lose its force. In the Greek New Testament, the word uh, that we're more familiar with is Alleluia. It is derived from this Hebrew word and can be found in Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. And that passage reads, After this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Alleluia. When you hear that in the New Testament, that is praise, Yah, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Alleluia, The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Alleluia, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. And so our passage in Psalm 135, verse 1, praise the Lord. These words, praise the Lord, are the Hebrew form of Halaliah. Halaliah, Hallelujah. The words praise the Lord can be used as an exhortation to worship. And they can also be used as a response in worship. Like the New Testament church, we say amen. We also say praise the Lord or alleluia. But in scripture, they will never be used in the form of a suggestion. This is not in scripture. You will never see this as a mere suggestion to all of mankind. that That it's a good idea that, or it's a good consideration to praise the Lord. No, this is always exhorted to mankind to praise the Lord. And a response is, Halalia or Alleluia, praise the Lord. But in many ways, the writer indeed, in, indeed in this, in, uh, is presenting this word as an exhortation, but he is also worshiping. When he says, praise the Lord, he is exhorting a people to praise the Lord. But he, in his own heart as well, is most definitely worshiping. And so we see in verse 1 a call to worship. All proper theology begins with God. And this is true when we consider a call to worship. It is God first who calls us to worship Him. And so all biblical worship begins with a call to worship God. And this call to worship God is from God, built into the very fabric of creation, is the proclamation to behold God and to glorify Him. Psalm 19, uh, chapter 19, verses 1 through 2, says that the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge built into the very essence of what it means 
to be human is that God created us to worship him. And so uh, if you're a young boy or girl here, perhaps you're familiar with, uh, or if you've been catechized, catechized, perhaps you'd be familiar with these questions from the catechism from young, for young boys and girls. Question number one is, who made you? And the answer is, God made me. Question number two is, what else did God make? The answer is, God made all things. Question three would be, why did God make you and all things? And the answer is, for his own glory. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks this question. Question one, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. From the very beginning, God has revealed himself to all mankind to behold him and to worship him. And in a more special way, it is God who has revealed himself to a chosen people to behold him and to worship him uniquely. It is God who first calls us to worship him. One writer puts it this way, and I quote, the Greek word ekklesia is used in the New Testament and commonly refers to a called out assembly or congregation. In this, the church consists of people who are called out by God into the perfect salvation he offers through the atoning work of Christ. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession that God has purchased, redeemed, and secured. Before we can call God's people to worship, we have to arrive at the understanding that it is initially God himself who has called us to worship. Only through the invitation are we able to respond as his people and proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2.9 Through this realization, when we worship, we are doing what God has ultimately first called us to do as his people. End of quote. God, who has created all things for his glory, has put all mankind a natural inclination and ability to know him and to know that he is powerful, that he is good, and that he is wise, and that they ought to worship him. This is the chief end, the ultimate goal, the ultimate purpose, and the ultimate reality for all mankind. And so the psalmist begins this psalm with the exhortation in verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord here, the word Lord here, is the full name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. It is the proper name of the Lord. Here we have the covenant name of God, from which Yah, the, the previous word for Lord, is derived from in that first stanza. God reveals himself in two ways, by way of general creation and by way of special revelation. It is because God created us to glorify him and has revealed himself in creation that all mankind already owe him proper praise. But it is because God created us to glorify him and revealed himself in creation, and in a special way has revealed himself to a special people, that we come to know God in a more intimate way through his covenant name, Yahweh or Jehovah. The covenant name of God always affirms to a covenant people the covenant faithfulness of Yahweh. The call to worship in its exhortation begins to build Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. To praise the name of the Lord is to praise the very one by whom that name belongs to. We have a greater, more fuller revelation of Yahweh in the new covenant. Yahweh is further and more fully revealed to us as Father and as Son and as Holy Spirit. For the new covenant people, there is a name by which God's covenant faithfulness is associated with. John chapter 12, verse 27 through 30 
says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Before this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. This is Jesus speaking. And the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Acts chapter 2, verse 16 through 21, Peter says, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the, sh- the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes and the great magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 18, 8 through 13, Paul says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Lastly, Ephesians 1, 18 through 21. Paul says, Having now the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so in Psalm 135, what we see here is the old covenant name of God. It is the name here that is proclaimed to an old covenant people. Praise the Lord, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord. The word for Lord here again is Jehovah. The term servants of the Lord could be the Levitical attendants, but it is more likely the faithful gathered to worship in the house of the Lord. Calvin is good for distinguishing or at least noting here that in verse 2, there are two people here mentioned. You have those who stand in the house of the Lord. Those are the Levitical priests. And in the courts of the house of our God, that would be everyone else of of the covenant people of Israel. And so what we see here is that this call to worship is a call for corporate worship. The exhortation is for the people of God to come together publicly and corporately to the house of God and praise the Lord. And so beginning, uh, the, so the beginning of verse 3, we read again this second use of halal yah, praise the Lord. And to be sure, private worship is true worship. But corporate, public worship is the highest form of worship for the covenant people of God. Covenant worship is always public, and it is always corporate. It is why we are here today. We are a new covenant people gathered corporately and publicly to praise the name of the Lord. Pastor Lawson says in one of his uh, comments on this passage, praise has its reasons. Praise is never mindless. Praise has cognitive, theological reasons for us to ascribe 
praises to God. The Lord is God. We are not God. He created us to behold him and to glorify his name. And as if that is not reason enough, in addition, God is constantly and actively revealing himself in creation. And by way of covenant, God has revealed himself in a special way to a chosen people. This is what we call special revelation. What this means for all mankind is that we are left without any excuse as to why we have not given the praise due to God. And so we see here in our next passages the cause for praise. Or I have six reasons why we ought to praise the Lord. Verse 3, reason number 1, God is good. Psalm 135.3 says, Praise the Lord, for the Lord, that is Yahweh, is good. God is good. Reason number 2, it continues to say, Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. God is pleasant. God is lovely. God is delightful. This word can also be translated as such. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. There are two reasons here about God that could be taken as just general statements concerning God. God is good, and God is pleasant. But just prior to this in verse 1 and verse 2, the psalmist is exhorting the servants of the Lord who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. How do they become servants? Who chose them? It is God who did that. Out of all the nations, he chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, by which the nation of Israel become the old covenant people of God. And within Israel, you also get the Levitical priesthood. How did they get the land to build a temple to worship as a congregational people of Yahweh? God gave it to them. He promised it to Abraham, and he gave it to them during the time of Joshua. Joshua chapter 21, verse 43 through 45 says, So the Lord God gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers. And they possessed it and lived in it. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And no one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord God gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. And so, yes, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. And we continue to keep building. Reason number three in verse four. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. Here we see God's electing grace. And by God's electing grace here, I don't mean electing saving grace. The special people chosen by God, that is the election, were without doubt recipients of a special grace that separated them from all other nations. They were of Abraham. They were of Isaac. They were of Jacob. They were the 12 tribes of Israel. They had Moses and the tabernacle and the priesthood and the sacrifices and the feasts and the law. They had David and the temple. Indeed, this is all cause to praise the Lord, for he is good and he is pleasant and he has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. This is indeed electing grace, but it is not election unto saving grace. That is, that grace that atones for sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. The new covenant people of God, elected unto saving grace, have an even greater, a more excellent cause to praise the Lord than the old covenant people of God. Nevertheless, for the old covenant people created in the image of God, it is still cause for them to praise the Lord. And so verse 4 says, Praise the Lord, for the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. Verse 5 continues, For I know that the Lord is great. Reason number 4 a cause to worship, a cause to praise. God is great. One may ask, how great is our God? How great is our God? Well, reason number five continues and says, for I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. How great is our God? He is greater than all other gods. The word here for Lord is, you'll see in your Bibles, it is not capitalized. The word in Hebrew is Adonai. Adonai, Lord, is a title of the one true God with a focus to his majesty and authority. And so we see God is great. God is greater than all other gods. Verse 4 will expand its, uh, itself further in verses 8 through 14, building on God's goodness and the loveliness of his name with regards to what he has done for the chosen nation of Israel. And then verse 5 will expand itself further in verses 15 through 18, building on the greatness of God over all supposed gods. Continuing in verse 6, reason number 6, whatever the Lord Yahweh pleases, he does. Here we see the sovereignty of God. A cause for praise. God is sovereign. Can there be a better passage proclaiming the sovereignty of God? I mean, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Question here. Are God's actions limited at all by time or space or person or event? The answer is no. And if God's actions are to be limited at all, it is according to his perfect will. And so the writer says, whatever the Lord pleases, that is his will, he does, that is his action. And let us not forget the earlier statements that God is good and that God is pleasant and that God is great, greater than all other gods. All his actions are holy because they are derived from a God that is good and pleasant and great. God is holy and therefore his will is holy. His actions are holy. Verse 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Where does this happen? It continues to say, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deep. One commentator notes, as elsewhere in the Bible, the cosmos is perceived as having three strata, the sky, the earth, and the water below the earth. In other words, the Lord what the Lord pleases, he does, and where he does this is everywhere. There is no limit in space where God does not perform his holy sovereign will. The doctrine of God that he is good and pleasant and great and sovereign is clearly seen in creation and in his providence. And by providence, we mean that God created all things and did not step away from it, but that he is active in his creation working out his holy will. Remember, verse 6 says, wherever the Lord, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. 
And so we could also ask, what are some things that God has done? In this case, for the old covenant people of God. And I want to take a brief uh, moment here and ask you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 10. This will not be on the screens. So if you have a Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 10. And I'm going to read 16 verses. And the reason for this is because, uh, as one of the commentators noted in my introduction, there are phrases that we will see that are used in this passage that are similar phrases used in other passages. And I think Jeremiah 10, verses 1 through 16, are going to be a helpful sort of uh, indicator or a bridge for us to see what the writer here is doing. But I'll give you a, a brief uh, heads up. God, or the writer here is going to proclaim the excellencies of God and what he has done for Israel and contrast that with idols and the result of worshiping false idols or other gods. So Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 1 through 16 reads this way. And I'm going to emphasize verse 13 because verse 13 The wording there is equal to uh, the next verse in Psalm 135, verse 7. Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 16, read this way. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down. If you could picture this in your head. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field and they cannot speak. They have to be carried for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor is it it in them to do good. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? For this is your due for for among all the wise ones of the nations, and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. They are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish, and gold from Uphaz. They are the work of the craftsmen and of the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple. They are all the work of skilled men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus, thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens, remember the gods are these idols, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretch out the heavens. In verse 13, when he utters his voice, there is tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for rain, for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they will perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. For he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Going back to Psalm 135, verse 7. I'll I'll read 5, 6, and 7. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Think of idols. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. And it's verse 7 that almost word for word equals uh, Jeremiah 10, verse 13. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. 
And so, as we continue on in verse 8, we're going to see God reminding them what he has done for the old covenant people of God. Verse 8 says, He it is who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both of man and of beast. If you're familiar with the ten plagues, this is the last plague of the ten plagues that were performed in Egypt. The firstborn of Egypt was struck down, both of man and of beast. Verse 9, who in, the midst, o, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants. Romans chapter 9, verse 14 through 17 says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? This question would be valid if we were to, if God was not a holy God, if he was not good, if he was not pleasant, if he was not great. But we know through his revelation and through his works that he is those things. And so what kind of question is this? What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? Paul says, by no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scriptures say, for the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, Pharaoh, I have raised you up that you might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. It is God who struck down Pharaoh, the firstborn in Egypt, of mankind and of the animals. Verse 10. It is God who struck down, it is the Lord who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. Sihon and Og were the first Canaanite kings that Israel faced when they were wandering in the wilderness. That can be found in Numbers chapter 21, verses 21 through 35. And as they entered the promised land, it says in Psalm 135, 11, that it is the Lord who struck down and killed all the kingdoms of Canaan. After wandering in the wilderness, they entered the promised land and they defeated all the kingdoms of Canaan. A list of these kings can be found in Joshua chapter 12, verse 7 through 24. Remember here, we are listing causes. The writer of Psalms 135 is listing causes for praising the Lord. The psalmist is saying it is Yahweh who struck down many nations and killed many kings. And so when we speak of the sovereignty of God, we must recognize that it is because of the sovereignty of God that God is the first cause of all things. It is his holy will, and he does whatever he pleases. But we can also affirm second causes. God is the first cause. Nothing happens outside of his holy and sovereign will. But he also uses second, cloud, second causes, like in this passage, passage, the clouds that rise and the lightning that strikes and the wind that blows and the nation of Israel who struck down many nations and killed many kings. Ultimately, it is the people of God who can look at his word to come to the conclusion and trust that God is sovereign over all things and that all that he does is according to his sovereign and holy will, and they must worship him. They must praise the Lord. Verse 12 says, It is God, it is the Lord that gave their land, that is the land of Canaan, as a heritage, a heritage to his people, Israel. God's covenant faithfulness is to, re, is to always be remembered by his covenant people. When the covenant people of God gather publicly and corporately, to praise the name of the Lord, they must do so in light of who he is and what he has done for his covenant people. We bring nothing to the table. We only behold and praise the name of the Lord. For his own glory, God does all his holy will. Praise the Lord. For his covenant name's sake, he has remained faithful to his covenant people. Praise the Lord. Verse 13 says, Your name, O Lord, 
That is Yahweh again. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. In the, in the uh, other, pa- other uh, translations, the word for renown is translated as remembrance. It is also can be translated as memorial. Your remembrance or your memorial, your renown, O Lord, is remembered throughout all ages. How is this possible? How How does God's name, his memorial name, endure forever throughout all the ages? It is because, verse 14, for the Lord, Yahweh, will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The word vindicate there is, Judgment. He's 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 uh, making a case for his people, and he is having compassion on his servants. Why does God have to judge and have compassion on his servants if they are already his covenant people? Why does he have to judge them and have compassion on them? And the answer is because of sin. The highest form of sin is expressed in the worship of idols the works of man's hands. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 28 through 29 says, Assemble to me all the elders. This is a song of Moses that he's saying prior to his death to the people of Israel. And when you hear or read the title, Song of Moses, you would think these are going to be full of good, glad tidings and good things. And yet Moses says here, Assemble to me all the elders of your tribes, and your officers, that I may speak these words in their hearing, and call the heavens and the earth to witness against them. For I know that after my death, you will act corruptly, and turn from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days. For you will do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger with the work of your hands. Verse 20 through 21, he's, he continues on. Then he said, I will hide, this is God speaking in this song. Then he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be. For they are a perverse generation, sons in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. And in 35 and 36, God continues to say, Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near. And the impending things are hastening upon them. And then this phrase here that we see in Psalm 135, For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. And so we see that sin is always the problem. Even when God is faithful to his covenant people and he does all these amazing things and has already set them apart in a unique way from the rest of the nations, The problem is always still there, lingering in the hearts of those people, of all people. It is sin. It is sin. And so verses 15 through 18 of Psalm 135, starting with verse 15, the psalmist here begins to do the contrast of why is God great? Or how is God great? God is greater than all other gods. Here he says, verse 15, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Remember Moses, what he says, prophesying. These people all they will do is corrupt things eventually. And here in verse 18, it says, those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. 
And to be sure that this is not just an Old Testament problem, I mean, I don't imagine that we know people who are fastening, cutting down trees, shaping them with axes and overlaying them with silver and gold and carrying, the, carrying idols about. I mean, I know that that is happening around the world, but in America, what are idols to us? Well, Paul says in Romans 1, verse 21 through 25, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. This is, that, this is the heart of the problem. I mean, the physical idols are just an outward manifestation of what the issue is within our hearts. God created us to worship. And when we are not worshiping the one true living God, we are exchanging the truth for a lie. Paul says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature. And you could say ourselves, our own desires, our own thoughts of maybe even of who God is outside of the revealed word of God. They exchanged, they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Again, why does God have to vindicate his old covenant people and have compassion on his servants? It is sin. Nevertheless, for the old covenant people, verse 19, nevertheless, the exhortation remains. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Because the nation of Israel was under a unique covenant relationship, they had the obligation to bless and praise the Lord. And this is above and beyond the natural call for all mankind to worship God because God is good, God is loving, God is pleasant. He is greater than all other gods. Verse 21, Blessed be the Lord from Zion, he who dwells in Jerusalem. And we have the last Phrase of Halalyah, praise the Lord. Paul declares to the new covenant people of the Lord in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Remember, Psalm 135, 21, Blessed be the Lord from Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. For the old covenant people, yes. For the new covenant people, Romans 8, 9 through 17. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. 
For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption. This is under the new covenant. As sons by which we we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And so, brothers and sisters, under the new covenant, we indeed can say, praise the Lord. Let's pray. O gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you, O Lord, that you indeed have saved us from sin. All mankind being born under the wrath, under your wrath, O God, because of the guilt of Adam and because of our own inclination now to sin. We thank you, O God, for your covenant faithfulness where people can now come together under a new covenant, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, under his name can no other man be saved. We thank you, O God, for your covenant faithfulness We thank you, O God, that we can come together in this place and worship you together as a chosen people, a holy race. Thank you for your covenant faithfulness throughout all of Scripture. There are so many reasons to praise you, O God. May we continue to praise you and to live in light of who you are as we go forth from this place today. Oh God, praise the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.